Wow, so glad you're with us here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. We're going to spend most of our time tonight, of course, in Philippians. This is the last message in the series, The Mindset That Cannot Fail. Attitude leads to action. What we think about is ultimately is the direction of our lives, where we're going to go. And so this is very, very important that we understand this. And I want to encourage you, if you want to listen to an encouraging series on the book of Philippians, go back and check these out. Many of them are on our website, on the live streaming there, and that can be a blessing to you. The mindset that cannot fail. We've been going through different parts of the mindset that a believer needs to have to run the Christian life race successfully. And tonight we're going to end on, it's amazing to me how this just kind of, it's a shout out out of the text itself as we wrap up here in chapter four. But before we get to chapter four, we're going to see a verse that basically summarizes the end of chapter four. And we see it in 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse two. And it says this, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, there it is, faithful. The last quality of the mindset that cannot fail is faithfulness. Now let me explain that tonight, how this fits together. Because if a believer, and when I say a believer, I'm talking about one who knows they have eternal life because they've trusted Jesus Christ the Savior. They're not depending on their faithfulness to get them to heaven. They're not depending on good works. They're not depending on going to church, being baptized, giving money, reforming your life, any of those things, what they've done is they've understood their loss and they've put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And when you do that, God gives you eternal life as a gift. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. Now that's a believer. And that's when you become a child of God is when you are born again. Now, once we're children of God, yes, God has. He leaves us here because he has a life for us to live. Now, whether we succeed or do well or not, In that life, that doesn't forfeit or secure heaven any more than it already is. Remember, when you trust Christ, you receive everlasting life. And if it's everlasting, it means it never stops. If it never stops, that means that once you are saved, you are saved forever. It just all makes sense, doesn't it? It just makes complete sense. But God has called his children to live a faithful life. And we have already touched on that in the book of Philippians, but again, it seems like a shout out from the last part. Now here again in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required in stewards, moreover, above all else, above all else. So all the qualities, all the ingredients of a mindset that cannot fail for the believer, all of those things, more than any of them is the issue of faithfulness faithfulness, because that really ends up affecting every area of the Christian life. If I, as a believer, as a child of God, commit myself that, you know what, I am going to live a faithful life for Christ by the grace of God. This is my desire. I want to live a dedicated Christian life. I want to be a a follower of Christ, okay? Now, a believer is not the same as a follower. There can be people who are followers who have never put their faith in Christ, they're following, thinking they're going to earn their way to heaven. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are already saved, who decide to follow the Lord with their lives. 
And of course, that's what God wants for his children. 1 Corinthians 4.2 is one of the most powerfully practical verses in all the Bible. It sums up all that God wants from us as his children. Just like when we have children of our own in our physical families, in our earthly families, right? As you raise up your children, hopefully you have an expectation for them. Hopefully you are training them and you're wanting them to be obedient. That whole concept, where do we even get that? Where do we even get the idea of family? It comes from God. God is the architect, okay? There's the family of God and then there's the human family. So what does this mean, 1 Corinthians 4, 2? It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Well, to be faithful is to be trustworthy or dependable. It doesn't depend on financial wealth. God does not require in his children that we be found wealthy, or it doesn't require us to have a a doctorate in education. It doesn't require us to be good-looking. It doesn't require us to have notoriety or to be famous. No, God is not impressed with any of those things. The one quality God is most impressed with, which he desires, is for us to be faithful. Because faithfulness is like an umbrella that covers everything else. If we are faithful to the Lord, that means that we are going to basically cover the basis. And this is what God wants for his children. It is a matter of choice, and it's a matter of commitment. Now, the beauty of this is to understand, folks, anybody can be faithful. Do we get that? Again, you might say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a nobody. You can be faithful, though. Well, I'm not big and strong. Yeah, but you can be faithful. Well, hardly anybody knows who I am. Yeah, but you can be faithful. Well, I'm kind of shy. Yeah, but you can be faithful. Well, I don't think I could, I don't think I can get up in church and speak or sing or that. Yeah, but you can be faithful. Anybody can be faithful. All that means, again, it means you're dependable. You can be counted on and you're trustworthy. That's all it means. See, faithfulness levels the playing field, so to speak. When I was in junior high, I lacked confidence when it came to football. Football was not my main sport. Baseball was. But when I was in junior high, I decided I was going to go out for the JV football team. So I did. And, uh, and I really felt like, in my heart, I felt like I could be the quarterback of the team. But I'd never played organized football before. And so I decided, because I, I've always been, my entire life I've been overweight, my entire life. And I don't know if I came out overweight, but I wouldn't doubt it. But anyways, I wasn't so much built like a quarterback, but I was very fast and I could throw really well. And so I figured I could do this, but I lacked confidence. And so I decided, you know what? I don't know what, what position should I go out for? And I got this lame brain idea in my head. What I'll do, I'll just be a lineman. (laughs) So I, I ended up being an offensive tackle. I was on the line, offensive tackle. That means you stop the guys wanting to come in. Well, you know, if you were playing with guys your own size and weight, I could handle that, not not a problem. I was pretty strong and I could handle that. I was physically fit. But what happened, I can remember one day now, there in South Florida, and I'm not sure why it was this way, the football field that we had, it wasn't regular dirt. It was a, a type of a clay but it wasn't, you might say, oh, you mean like a baseball field? No, 
This was gray. And when it would rain, it would get very slippery, very slippery. And so I can remember one day I was there and, and it, was, it was raining. And you know, that doesn't stop football players. They keep going if it's raining. They got their helmets and everything on. And so there I was. And, and so they, they said, okay, we're going to run some plays. And okay, uh, Ard, you get head, Ard. That was his last name, Ard. Ard, you go head up on Kakuza. Okay. Now, you would have to know what that means. It was raining, but I was sweating bullets because Freddie Ard, that was his name, Freddie Ard. Now, that, you can imagine what Freddie Ard looked like. <laughs> Freddie Ard was in the same grade as I was, ninth grade, but Freddie Ard was probably, oh, six foot three, six foot four, and he was probably about 320 pounds. And here I am, five foot eight, five foot nine. And I can't remember what I weighed, but it wasn't that. It was a whole lot less than that. Probably less than half of that, or about half of that. Anyway, so there I was, head up on him. And so, you know, the ball's hiked, and I'm supposed to keep him from coming in. And uh, he came. I, I went ahead, block him. And, of course, you know, you, you put your feet back, and you're like this. And because of the clay, I slipped. I slipped, and I fell and I fell back, and he did not stop. And so he ended up stepping on me. And let me just put it this way. He stepped on me in the worst place possible. <laughs> and the coach was probably had to tend to me for probably 15 minutes to get to where I could stand up and make my way off the field. Now, I don't know why that came to my head, but the idea of an even playing field I guess that makes sense. Between me and Freddie, there was no even playing field, okay? He was massive. He was Goliath. I was David, but I wasn't even saved, and I didn't have a sling. There I was, and it wasn't a pretty picture, okay? Now, if he would have been my side, it would have been more of an even playing field, so to speak, or if I would have been his size, same idea, but it wasn't that way at all. Here's the point, folks. You may look at certain people and you may say, well, you know what, boy, so-and-so, they are so impressive. They're, I could never do that. Well, maybe that isn't what God wants you to do, okay? God is calling us to be trustworthy, reliable, faithful. When there's an opportunity, when there's a need, when I understand what maybe my spiritual gift or gifts are, God wants me to be faithful with those things. And the other areas of Christian life, which we'll get to, in just a few minutes. In Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says this, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. So what does God tell us? To be a faithful believer is something that is rare. To be faithful, it's rare. They're hard to find. God is looking for routine, everyday Faithfulness, And this is what makes up a dedicated Christian life, a Christian life that has lived well. If we see the value in being faithful, if we see the value in being faithful, we will live that way. We will have the mindset then that cannot fail, as we have seen through Philippians. And we're going to look at some examples here in Philippians of those who were faithful. And as a result of that, we are going to be blessed not only now, but as believers, when we die and go to heaven, when stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded 
for our faithfulness. So it's a win-win situation. Obedience here brings blessing, and then when we get to heaven, we're blessed by rewards. But what's the bottom line? It's not talent, not looks, not money, not size. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, let's go to Philippians 4, and we are going to look at several examples of faithfulness in this last section of verses. This last section. You know, people say, well, I... I, You know, there's so many books on this kind of stuff. The secret of the Christian life, okay? The secret of the Christian life. Oh, I'm praying that God would reveal to me the secret, the will of God for my life, okay? I saw a little cartoon today. It was awesome. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. Lord, speak to me. Here's this guy, little guy looking up at the cloud. Then the next frame, it shows him looking up And there's a hand coming out of the cloud and it's got a Bible in it. That's it. You want to know the will of God? Know the word of God. It's not mystical. Oh, I'm not saying there aren't times when we're seeking on a decision. Lord, what is your will? And if it's not clearly spelled out in scripture, or if you can't get it through godly counsel, I understand that waiting on the Lord, I understand it. But folks, we mystify the Christian life way more than God ever intended it to be. The Old Testament saints, before the scriptures were written, they didn't have a choice. They had to wait to hear from God, literally. Those of us today, we hear him through the pages of scripture. Now, we see several examples of faithfulness here. In the first one we see, we're going to begin in verse 10, the faithfulness of the Philippian church to send support to the apostle Paul. The faithfulness of the Philippian church to send financial support in whatever need he had. To the Apostle Paul, we see it in verses 10 through 17, all right? Let me say this. This is incredibly important. If a church takes on a missionary, that church needs to be faithful to support that missionary. You can't have it hit or miss. These missionaries, folks, this is their lifeblood. They've raised support for that support to help them when they go to that foreign land or wherever it is they're going. This is where they're getting their way to live, It's their means of living. And if that's not coming in, or if somebody, you know, got moved when when that missionary went to visit that church and they, oh boy, that person really touched me. I'm gonna support them financially. And then they start missing on their support to that person. That's a disaster. We have a commitment in our church. Now, we don't have a gazillion missionaries, but we have a commitment. Those that we are gonna support, we will support them absolutely faithfully. Okay. Pastor Trout, have we ever missed a support check to a missionary? Never, never. We started the church in 1981. We've never one time missed the payment, missed the support to a missionary. Why? Because we promised them we'd support them. The Philippian church, okay, here they, verse 10, Paul says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, you were concerned about me, but you lacked opportunity. Now we covered this last week. It was hard for them to get the gift to the apostle Paul, but here they were able to do it again. And of course we know how the money got to Paul. It was through somebody that we'll talk about a little later. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. That includes Minnesota, by the way. 
verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. What's he saying? Paul knew he had the Lord and that the Lord would never forsake him. He also knew that the Lord, through his grace, would provide for him everything he needed so that he could serve the Lord faithfully. That's what verse 13 is about. Even when times when I'm doing without at times, when maybe there's a shortfall, maybe I'm I'm facing this trial or this thing happened to me or whatever, you know what? I can make it through that because I've got the Lord. He will strengthen me. That's what verse 13 is about. Verse 14, notwithstanding, you have well done that ye did communicate or share with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when he started his ministry, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or shared with me concerning as giving and receiving, but ye only. So when I started out, you were the only ones. And you shared with me. You supported me. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, this is interesting because we have been so conditioned in our country, and I know there's bad apples, and I know there's prosperity gospel preachers who are greedy for money and all that, and and there are ones that are corrupt and all of that. But folks, listen, the vast, vast, vast majority of churches they're not asking for support for themselves. They're asking for the ministry. And they're asking the Lord, Lord, move the people to financially give because folks, listen, there's blessing in that for you. That's what he's saying. Look at it. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says, I want souls to be saved and you are helping me fulfill my ministry and you're in this with me. We're in this together. We're co-laboring together for the sake of the gospel. That's what ministry is. And so, you know, when we, when we take an offering or we have a missionary come in and maybe we'll do a special offering, okay, a, a special love gift offering uh, above and beyond what we're going to pay them anyway for being here or give them anyway for being here. Why do we do that? We're, none of that goes to us. None of it goes to us. It goes to them because it's going to encourage them and help them to continue their ministry. And not only that, but Jesus said what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed means happy. We'll have more joy if we're giving people than if we're withholding. Faithful in giving. Faithful. Let me ask you this. When you come to local church, when you come each week, Do you faithfully give? You might say, how often should I give? I don't come all the time, but should I give when I come? Friend, if you're getting an increase every week, if you're getting paid every week or every other week, when should you give? Every week or every other week. The Bible says, if you get an increase, you should give off the top of that. God's not dumb. He knows if you wait, it won't be there. No, if we give off the top, that honors the Lord with with our substance and with the first fruits of the increase. And that's where the blessing is found. We give by faith. And by the way, can I tell you this? 
You cannot outgive God. We don't give to get. Okay, that's prosperity gospel stuff. We don't give to get, but I'll tell you what, if you give out of a grateful heart to the Lord, you're gonna get back a whole lot more than you ever gave. That's just the way he does it. Now, it may not come with more, you know, well, I gave $500, therefore I'm gonna get, let me figure that out, where's my calculator? No, 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 no. It may not even be financial. It may be another way. I'd say, well, I gave, I sacrificially gave to that guy and I didn't see any blessings. Well, let me ask you this. Have you been healthy for the last six months? Well, as a matter of fact, I haven't even had a cold. Maybe that's how God's blessing you, is with good health. We're so narrow, aren't we? We're so narrow when it comes to these kinds of things. So we see the faithfulness of the Philippian church to support Paul's ministry. Secondly, we see the faithfulness of Epaphroditus to deliver it. Epaphroditus. Not a lot of people name that these days. Epaphroditus. Verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Okay, that's, that's a describing the generosity of the Philippian people to Paul. And then he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. By the way, do you understand verse 19 is connected to the verses right before it? God says, I'm going to provide your needs because you provided the needs for somebody else. This is not a blank check for us. It's a simple truth. Now, if you remember about Epaphroditus as we went through earlier in our study in chapter 2, he was the one who almost died in his commitment to being faithful to the Lord, right? As a matter of fact, if you're in chapter 4, hold your place and go back to chapter 2. Not going to spend a lot of time on it. We already detailed it. But in chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier. Okay, you could put in parentheses, faithful. He was faithful. But your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. Interesting about his name, by the way. Have you ever wondered this as a person? I, some people do. They think, you know what? If I had a more normal name, maybe I could get ahead more in life. Now, I won't ask you how many of you have ever thought about that. Now, I know some of you with names like Olson or, or some of these other common names, that's not even an issue, okay? But listen, when you have a name like Kakuza, you think about these things. <laughs> Grant, give me a break. <laughs> that's so easy. It's so easy. What an easy life. Our girls, boy, when they got married, they were thrilled. <laughs> Holler. Casey, Horning, easy, not Kakuza. Anyways, how would you like to be named after an Italian squash? It's true, by the way. That is what a Kakuza is. It's a squash. Did you know that? Correct? Yeah, it's a squash. You can get them in the grocery store. We've got all kinds of relatives there. When we were in Italy, I can remember seeing in the grocery stores there, Kakuza, there it was, spelled exactly the same way. Here's Epaphroditus. Here's the point, though. Epaphroditus, OK? 
okay? You might say, oh, I would never want a name like that. You know what? If I was as faithful as him, I'd love to have a name like that. He was a faithful man. He's written in the pages of scripture. Now, we, we always think in terms of, you know, James and John and Paul and Peter and Andrew, Noah, uh, these, these people, Moses. But here's a guy, everything said about him is awesome. Fellow soldier, messenger, and he ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because ye had heard that he had been sick. So Epaphroditus was really down because word got to the Philippian church that he was sick and it was bothering them, and so he was bothered that they were bothered that he was sick. Talk about a selfless guy. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, verse 27, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. Godly man, faithful man. And here he is in the pages of scripture. Our third example here we see in Philippians is the faithfulness of Paul and others to stay true to sharing the gospel under any circumstance, okay? Faithfulness of Paul and others to stay true to sharing the gospel under any circumstance. Look at verse 20. Now here we are at the end of the letter. By the way, never rush through the end of these epistles. There are absolute gems of value that you find. And this is no exception. Verse 20, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Salute or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul is writing from jail in Rome. He's writing from jail. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me. Greet you. All the saints salute you chiefly Chiefly, especially, they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You might say, wait a minute. Did I read that right in verse 22? Yes, you read it right. They refused to let their circumstances dictate how they would live their lives, even though they're in jail. They refused to let that be the crushing circumstance that made them ineffective. They refused it. They said, no, I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm going to focus where I need to. I'm going to do what I need to do. And what was the result of that? As a result, they were faithful each day that they were in jail, and they led many to the Lord while they were in jail. And not only that, but word spread. And guess what it did? That word went right up the ladder into Caesar's household. We don't know who, what level it went to, But we know this, here he is in Rome. Rome has him in jail. And through the preaching of the gospel in jail, there are people being freed spiritually because they're being faithful where they're at. Faithful where they're at. You know what, folks? We we don't walk by faith enough. We walk by sight. We're slaves to our circumstances. We just let our circumstances lead us around. We're not thinking the way God does. We're not thinking with the eternal perspective the way 
we need to. This is amazing when you think about it. You can almost see when he got out of jail there in Rome. This is his first imprisonment. When he got out of the jail, I can imagine those guards and stuff, the ones who got saved saying, man, I hate to see you go. This was awesome. You changed my life. Thank you for your faithfulness. And it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Paul. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The letter began, by the way, with grace, and it ends with grace. See, here's this issue of faithfulness. As we are faithful each day, here's what it does, folks. It changes our character. We don't, okay, wait, I'm a Christian. I go to church. This is the way I'm supposed to act. That is a dead end. That is a dead end. If I am living by this is the way I'm supposed to act, then what am I doing? I'm acting. That's make-believe. No, I should be so committed to Christ, being faithful to Christ, that my faithfulness to him flows out in a life that's pleasing to God. That's the way it's supposed to be. As we are faithful each day, it changes our character. We become more and more godly because we remain faithful in doing the right things. This is how it happens. It doesn't happen overnight. This is what sanctification is all about. It's a lifelong walk with the Lord. And as time goes on, we become more godly. Listen, none of us have arrived, but hopefully all of us who are saved are more godly today than we were 10 years ago. You might say, well, okay, be faithful. Faithful in what? Well, let's start with what Philippians has talked about over and over. Number one, faithful in sharing the gospel. It's a great commission. It's the bottom line as far as practical exercise of our faith is sharing the gospel, salvation with those who are lost. Faithful in studying the word of God. Do you love the scriptures? Do you love studying the scriptures? You might say, you know what? I just, it, it's just a chore for me. It's just really hard for me to do it in love with them, okay? The only way you can get over that as a Christian, where if you're being dragged into it, if that's how you feel like, I've got to drag myself into it, the only way you get over that is not by forsaking it. That's the worst thing. We need more of it, more and more and more, because then what it does is it cleanses our thinking and it gets us thinking right, and then we start craving what God wants for us instead of what our flesh wants. So faithful in sharing the gospel, faithful in studying the word of God, faithful in serving through the local church, faithful in serving through the local church, faithful in prayer, faithful in being a good spouse, husband or wife, faithful in being a good parent, father or mother, faithful in being a good employee where you work, faithful. I'd say, well, okay, so do I need to Each one of those, do I need to, no, 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 let's just do this. Lord, I am going to be trustworthy, reliable, faithful for you. I'm going to let your truth permeate my life to where you will transform me and you'll use me for your glory. Now, again, I know I said it at the beginning of this message, but let me say it again. Being faithful will not get you to heaven. You don't go to heaven on your faithfulness. You go to heaven on Jesus' faithfulness. Let me show you this. Look at Romans chapter 5. Here's Paul again. 
People say, Paul this and Paul that. You think he was Jesus. Oh, no, he wasn't Jesus. But he was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And I believe this. I believe there are other great Christians we've never heard of. I think when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you know, who's up next? Joe Slobotnik, Christian from Topeka, Kansas or someplace. Okay, whew, boy, we're going to take a break. 15 minutes, come back, and then we'll give him his rewards because his rewards are so many. This is going to take a while. Wouldn't that be wonderful for that to be you or me? What brings that? Faithfulness, faithfulness. Here's Paul. He says this in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, displayed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You notice that? We come to Christ as we are, sinners. God does not say anywhere in the Bible, you need to forsake all your sin, clean up your life, and then I'll accept you. Folks, if we could do that, Jesus would have never had to come. We couldn't do it. That's why we need a Savior outside of ourselves, okay? Representing you and me, this hand, my wallet representing the things we do wrong, sin. We're all sinners, yet the Bible tells us God loves us. He hates our sin. For us to get to heaven, we have to be without sin, and none of us are. We're separated from God because of our sin. Heaven's perfect. We're not. We're sinners. Therefore, we're disqualified. That's why good works won't get you to heaven, because we're already wrecked. We need forgiveness of our sins. The wages of sin is death. If we pay for our own sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. God says, I love you. I displayed my love to you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, no sin of his own. He came, went to the cross, took our sin upon himself. He made the payment and rose from the grave. He says, all your sins paid for. If you trust in me that I did that for you, the moment you do, I'll give you everlasting life. Free gift, never, never cast you out, never lose you. Everlasting. Look at it over here. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone that you get to heaven. Then you become a child of God. You might say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, friend, then you're rejecting the payment Jesus made for you. Your sins are not forgiven. And you're saying, okay, I'm rejecting what Jesus did for me. In essence, you're saying, I'll pay for my own sin. You'll be lost forever in hell. I hate even, I hate saying the word hell, but it's in the Bible and it's real and people are going there. Trust in Christ if you've never done that before, would you? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.